The title that I have for you this morning is simply Committed to Follow. This is, I kind of tweaked it a little bit. I know that on your bulletin, if you're looking at your bulletin, it actually probably reads Commitment to Follow. Um, I changed it up just a little bit. Committed to Follow. Committed to follow. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the second chapter of the book of Mark. The second chapter of the book of Mark. The verses are on your screen. And I want to talk to you this morning about a very, very significant theme that when you open up your Bible from cover to cover, from the book of Genesis, verse 1, to the very last verse in the book of Revelation. This is one of those themes that is found threaded or weaved, if you will, through, in, through the entire text of what we know today to be the Word of God. And I know that what some of you guys may be thinking. Theologians are actually debating about what is the the unifying principle of the Bible. That's what they refer to it as. What is the one term or the one idea that actually, <coughs> that actually unifies all of Scripture? And some theologians are saying that grace is the unifying principle of the Bible. Some theologians argue that love is the unifying principle of the Bible. I personally believe that love is indeed the unifying principle of the Word of God. But among those themes, repentance is also discovered in the Word of God as well. In fact, I go so far as to say that it doesn't matter what passage you read from the Word of God, what text you read from the Word of God, what concept you extrapolate from the Word of God, you must always consider the theme of repentance because it's within every passage of the Word of God. And this morning, we're going to actually be talking about repentance. So keep that in mind. Read with me, if you will, follow along Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, by the way, this is also Matthew, the tax collector, the publican. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. They were relaxed with Jesus. For there were many who followed them, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And the peoples came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Father, we thank you this morning for this passage of Scripture that you've allowed us to read here this morning. Father, we know that you have wisdom to give us this morning. You have a truth that you want to convey so that we can apply to our lives so that we may be more like you this side of heaven. Father, I pray for the wisdom that I need to deliver this word to your people, but I pray for the wisdom they need, Lord God, to receive from you what you have in store for them. Help us, Father God, as we strive this side of heaven to please you in all that we do and say. These things we pray in Jesus' name and God's people say, Amen. So uh, let me ask you right away, how many of you have taken the time to read through the book of Mark this past week? Okay, nice, nice, nice. The, the, the numbers are, are, are dwindling just a little bit, but nice that we are actually reading the Word of God. Amen. Because at the end of the day, as I said to you a couple of weeks ago, there's nothing like the Bible this side of heaven. Amen, somebody. Can I get one witness? One witness. There's nothing like the Bible. Is there anything besides the Bible that is capable of altering our spiritual DNA? Anything like the Bible. Anything like the Bible. It, the Sports Illustrated, somebody, I know some man here is thinking, well, Sports Illustrated. I find it a little more interesting than the Word of God. Well, listen, I want to know who you are, if that was you, so that we can lay hands on you today because you're wrong. The Word of God is supreme. It reigns supreme. There's absolutely nothing like the Word of God. But we've taken the time to read through the book of Mark, so I want to take at least a minute to, to highlight just, just a couple of thoughts concerning the book of Mark. Uh, the theme, most people that I've read from, their writings that I've read from this past week, say that the theme of the book of Mark is Jesus, the wonderful servant of God. The servant of God. And I think, I think the reason why they say that is because the book of Mark is categorized or characterized by Jesus' superhuman power. When you open up the book of Mark, from the very first chapter to the very end of the book, Mark highlights the miracles that Jesus Christ was actually performing. One miracle after another, one chapter after another, Mark is highlighting the miraculous power of the Son of God. The miraculous power of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
from Jesus' perspective, listen to this. From Jesus' perspective, his miracles were always intended to draw the masses to him. Why? Because he wanted to preach the gospel message to them. He wanted them to hear the message of repentance. If you consider in the book of Matthew, for example, just off the top of my head, I believe it's Matthew 4, 17. Immediately after Jesus Christ was baptized by John at the River Jordan, immediately after the Bible says that Jesus Christ began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That concept, that theme, repentance, is woven into everything that came out of Jesus Christ's mouth. Absolutely everything. If you want to characterize his ministry, you can do so by mentioning that one word. Repentance. 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 It was important to Jesus Christ. And I think that as God's people here today, we need to understand a thing or two concerning this concept. Repentance. That was from Jesus' perspective concerning the miracles. However, from Mark's perspective, in this one particular text, he takes on this this position that Jesus Christ was fulfilling his purpose as the Son of Man by meeting the physical needs of the people of his day. And so that's why he takes on this, this theme, if you will, Jesus, the wonderful servant of God. In fact... From Mark's perspective, this theme, this servanthood of Jesus Christ, it was so important to him. I don't know if you noticed when you started reading the book of Mark, he doesn't even take the time to introduce himself in the text. Did you notice that? Other authors of their respected books took the time, like Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, the servant of God. Mark doesn't take the time to do that. Look at verse Chapter 1, look at your text. Just turn over a couple of pages. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. No personal introduction. I think that in Mark's heart, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there was something more important than introducing himself to his hearers, his listeners, etc. To anyone who would get a hold of this text and actually read it. To him, it was more important. I know there's some other things that we can actually take the time to mention about why it is he didn't introduce himself. But it's worth noting that it was more important to him to address the reason for which Jesus Christ came, and that is namely the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me ask you, why is it that Jesus Christ came in the first place? Why did He come? It's a fair question, and it's an all-important question. In fact, it's the billion-dollar question. It's so important that those who missed out on understanding why Jesus Christ came actually will not be found written, at least their names, will not be found written in the Lamb's book of life. Why did He come? According to prophecy, He came to rescue mankind. I'm going to read it to you, but if you want to look for it, 
Look at Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. We're, we're answering the question, why did He come? Luke 4, 18 through 19 actually reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. See, there's that gospel message right there. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He was performing miracles, thousands, millions of miracles, in fact. But He did it with the express intention of drawing the masses to Himself because He wanted them to hear the good news concerning their salvation if only they would look to Him as the Messiah, if only they could bring themselves to receiving Him in their hearts and in their lives as Lord and Savior, they would experience the ultimate gift God has availed to mankind, the salvation of our souls. Is there anything more important this side of heaven than the salvation of the human soul? It's the reason why Jesus Christ showed up the way that He did. Go back to your text. Go back to Mark chapter 2. And consider the peculiar setting that's taking place here in this one particular passage. Jesus Christ just finished calling Matthew the tax collector. And all of a sudden, using my imagination... And in fact, I believe John the Apostle actually gives us a a glimpse as to what takes place in the heart of Matthew or Levi shortly after Jesus Christ calls him to follow him. Matthew gets this idea, you know what, I appreciate this calling, I'm going to throw a party. And John gives us the idea that this elaborate party was thrown at his home. And so Jesus Christ finds himself there. His disciples are also at Matthew's house. But it also says the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, even though they were sad, you see, they were actually present there as well because they wanted to hear what this Jesus Christ had to say. But how many know they were looking for an opportunity to condemn him? They wanted to ensnare him with his own words. But Jesus Christ had a mission on hand. He was looking for an opportunity to convey his intentions. But listen to this, because we can't miss it. The theme that I'm discussing this morning is repentance. Jesus Christ wanted to make it clear in this setting, and I'm going to validate it, I'm going to prove it to you. Jesus Christ was trying to make it clear to them that there was a price to pay For following Him. There was a price to pay in order to be saved. But wait a minute, preacher. Isn't salvation free? Why are you saying there's a price to pay? Yes, indeed, absolutely. Salvation is free. And there's nothing you and I can ever do this side of heaven to earn our place in heaven. Nothing whatsoever. If anybody ever comes to you declaring that there's a price to pay in terms of works, listen, run for the hills. Run from such a gospel because it's not Bible. You cannot earn your place in heaven. It's the gift of God. However, 
Jesus Christ was trying to present something extremely important to the masses of His day. And it holds true for you and I today as well. Extremely important. In fact, I venture to say that because of the lack of repentance in the world today, we are, in fact, missing out on many treasures that God has in store for you and I today. Is Christianity Christianity without repentance? Can we discover salvation in Christianity without repentance? In no way, shape, or form. So in this one particular passage, look at verse 17. Mark 2, verse 17. It says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The price that we must pay for following Jesus is repentance. The price that we must pay in order to be saved is repentance. Someone once stated and put it this way. I live repenting on a perpetual basis. Not repenting to be saved because once you repent, you're saved. But because we are finite, because we are imperfect, we find within us this constant need to affirm our place in the kingdom of God, this side of heaven. And I don't know about you, but I live with this concept in my mind perpetually. Not from this legalistic perspective. No, I am saved and I know it. If I do nothing else this side of heaven, if I die right now, I'm going to heaven. Bottom line. However, I know there's this burden upon my life to fulfill God's purpose. But if I allow my sinful nature to rear up its ugly head, if I, if I allow myself to manifest itself, am I going to fulfill God's purpose for my life? That's the question. In no way, shape, or form can you as an individual, or can we as a church, we got this wonderful program coming into our existence, Urban Hope LA. It's a wonderful opportunity from the Lord. But can we realize whatever God has in store for us as a community of believers without repentance in no way, shape, or form. The point there is that we have to make sacrifices. When Jesus Christ presents this concept of repentance, He does so so that we can understand that change is warranted when we seek to follow Him and devote our lives. There cannot be any change without repentance. You can adhere to the study of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation on a daily basis, if it, were, if it were even possible to read the Bible in one day. You can study and memorize all the verses in the Bible. It will do you no good if there's no repentance in your heart. Did you know that there are Muslims on this planet that actually have memorized entire books of the Old Testament? I mean, that's mind-boggling. There are tens of thousands of Muslims on the planet who have memorized the entire Quran. The entire Quran. There's a Christian who does wonderful videos on YouTube. Black gentleman, I forget his name. You've got to really look it up. And this guy tells stories. I think I mentioned this once before. He dramatizes the Bible word for word. And it's an amazing thing. 
Let's get back to this text. I venture to say that this text that we read here this morning, the entire theme of the text is, in fact, repentance. No matter what New Testament passage you read from, the bottom line will always be the same. Salvation is offered to those who... The bottom line will always be the same. Salvation is offered to those who repent. Look at verses 21 and 22 with me of your text. It says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts, a new, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. I remember when I was a kid, we used to play so violently in school. I don't know about you guys, you probably got padded, padded um, schoolyards. In Philadelphia, we got concrete schoolyards. How about that? We got concrete schoolyards. And listen, we used to scuff up our elbows. We used to go to church with long sleeves and come back with holes here and holes here. Holes all over the place. And my mother thought she was doing a good thing by putting a patch in those areas without going through the motions of pre-shrinking the patch. See, the garment was already shrunken by its repeated washing, right? If you don't shrink the patch before you apply it, after its first washing, that patch is going to shrink and it's going to make the hole bigger. Amen, ladies. How about you ladies that went the extra mile trying to do that when your children were young, right? How many remember that sort of thing? How many know exactly what Mark is say, stating here? Okay, nobody's going to put their hand. Okay, one. It's me and you, Sarah. Me and you. Okay, the gentleman in the back, he knows exactly what I'm saying. You have to shrink the patch because if you don't, it's going to tear the cloth even more. The garment's going to make the tear worse. So what's happening here? Jesus is giving us a parable. A parable is an illustration that he was using to convey a moral or spiritual lesson. That's what the par- a parable was. It was a story. It was an illustration. Let me give you point number one this morning since we've already read the text. And what a peculiar text it is to use for this term, this concept of repentance. But look at it. It's going, to, it's going to be clear to you. Point number one, repentance is fundamental to salvation. Repentance is fundamental to salvation. How many faiths that we know of that exist today in society that come across as pure religion. And how many of these religions are actually producing genuine moral change in the people that are actually following them? The answer is none. And the reason is because religion does not demand repentance. Therefore, it doesn't matter what religion you become a part of. And now, mind you, parenthetically speaking, Christianity is not included when I state that. Because Christianity, from my perspective, is not a religion. 
Christianity is a relationship with the Almighty God Himself. But religion doesn't change. It doesn't possess the capacity to change because religion cannot do so. There's no demand for repentance in religion. Therefore, you cannot expect change. Look at your text once again. Look at verse 21. Because two things are mentioned in this text. I want to sort of unpack this point as quickly as I possibly can. The first thing that is mentioned here in this passage is there's a a patch. There's a patch that is mentioned. And we need to understand that the reference is to the gospel of the kingdom of God. The patch represents the gospel of the kingdom of God. And secondly, the old garment is mentioned. And it is a reference to the old religious system that Jesus was looking to replace. The the gospel of the kingdom and the old religious system. Now keep in mind that Jesus in this text is looking to save souls. He's looking to make a difference in the lives of his audience. The people who came out to hear what he had to say. The people who actually followed them long enough to experience these miracles that he was performing. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the... The, the lame, the rather the, the, the crippled being able to walk, those who could not hear being able to hear. Can you imagine the extraordinary thing that's taking place back then? And in the midst of all of that, he presents this crazy parable. Like Jesus, like really? Can you be any more incoherent? He begins with a particular theme and then he talks about a patch. And old wineskins, what's he saying? Was he indeed incoherent? No, he wasn't. He was talking about one and the same thing. Talking about repentance. Let's look at it. I'm looking at the time. Pardon me, and I just have to flow through some of this. Let me present this question. What happens when you give religion to someone who doesn't see the need for Jesus in his or her life. What happens when you give religion to someone who doesn't see the need for Jesus in his or her life? The answer is the person becomes more confused than he or she was prior to hearing about Jesus Christ. And, and the reason for that is because religion cannot free us. Religion actually serves to enslave us. Did you know that? Listen, doesn't matter what religion. In fact, even Christianity. You go ahead and take on Christianity if you want to. But minus repentance in your life. And it's only going to bind you up and make you a religious slave. Without any freedom whatsoever. This is important because Jesus performs all these miracles and he does so so that he can present this concept to them. If you want to follow me, you need to repent. And it's a, the classic passage. If you're writing anything down, consider Mark chapter 8. Write this down. Mark 8, beginning with verse 34. Mark 8, 34 
through 38. And Jesus Christ says, If anyone will come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. For whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall find it. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain this whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore should be ashamed of me and of my words in this sinful and adulterous generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when I come with the glory of my Father and his holy angels. Repentance is the concept that Jesus Christ chose to weave into the message of the gospel. From the scriptures, we know that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. From the scriptures, we know that he fulfilled the law. From the scriptures, we know that he even fulfilled the entire old covenant. And from the scriptures, we even know that his miracles validated his claim of divinity. However, the fact is that without repentance, the gospel message could only produce harm in our lives. Look at verse 21. Jesus stated, A worse tear is made. A worse tear is made. And just in case you're wrestling with this, this concept of the, the patch representing the kingdom of God or the message and the garment representing the old religious system, go back, do a little homework this afternoon, pick up a commentary, and you will see, and the light bulb will come on a little bit brighter. The old garment, according to Jesus Christ, had to be removed. He, it had to be replaced. And that's what he was trying to get them to understand. Imagine John 1, the Christ himself, the Messiah, the creator of the world, was standing in front of them and they missed him because they refused to denounce their old religious system. And he was being careful and responsible enough to forego any application of his gospel message because he knew it was only going to produce harm in their lives. That's why he spoke to them in parables. Look it up in the book of Luke. He gives us the reason why he spoke. The disciple, well, wait a minute, Lord. Why are you talking to us in parables? And he says, because it pertains to you to know the things of the kingdom of God. But to them, dot, dot, dot. I don't want to go down that path it's I'm already off on a tangent as it is. Let me get back to here. It says, without repentance, we are left with, number one, religion. Number two, tradition. Number three, without repentance, all we have in our midst is political correctness. Without repentance, what we have is indifference. Without repentance, we even have apathy. Without repentance, we can only merely go through the motions. Without repentance, there's no life in the church. Just think of that for a while. Without repentance, there's no life, substance in the church. Here's a verse for you to help clear this up just a little bit. Romans chapter 7 
verses 4 through 6. I'm going to read it to you so you don't have to go there, but go ahead and write it down. Romans 7, 4 through 6. It says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. Talking about salvation, belonging to God. To him who has been raised from the dead, in order, raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. That's life. Repentance produces life. But watch this. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Religion or the lack of repentance produces death. And when you add the gospel message to it without repentance, it only makes matters worse. It says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see, so Jesus Christ wanted to remove the old religious system from their hearts and their minds before the application of truth because the old religious system rooted in the law would only enslave them. It was only enslaving them. You have to remove the old in order to receive the new. So in this passage, Jesus Christ was actually referring to this freedom that we just described in Romans 7. Look at your text again, Mark chapter 2. And I'm sorry along if my words are coming one behind another a little bit too quickly. I would love for the day when I can relax up here and not have to worry about the Spanish church coming in behind us. I, I would love for that day. It's one of my greatest burdens. i just thinking out loud. Sorry about that. Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? How did Jesus Christ respond? I mean, it was a valid question, but it was posed from that religious old system perspective, mindset, or world view. Well, wait a minute. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. These people are fasting. Why aren't your disciples fasting? It's because they were with Jesus. They found freedom in Jesus. The message with Jesus that they were hearing or adhering to wasn't the same as the message that the others were listening to. They were fulfilling something different. They were with Jesus. They, were, they found freedom <clears throat> in Jesus Christ. So essentially, Jesus Christ stated, My disciples have found freedom in me. And if you truly take heed from your heart, you too can have what they have. Verse 19 says, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. There was a liberty they discovered in Christ. That's what you and I have today. You and I don't have to work to be saved. It doesn't mean we don't have to fast. It just says we don't have to work to be saved. He was trying to get this concept, trying to get them to understand the difference between life and death relative to systems. 
the old covenant and the new covenant. Point number two, abundant life is promised. Abundant life is promised. Look at verse 22, Mark chapter 2. It says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. The meaning of this one particular verse, remember, the parable is twofold, but both elements of the parable possess the same interpretation. Jesus Christ has just simply chosen to give it to them from a different standpoint, a different perspective. The meaning is the same. That is, the new wine is the gospel message, and the old wineskin is the old religious system. And what Jesus Christ was doing is that He was trying to convey to them His sentiments about the abundant life that they could have enjoyed if only they had removed from their hearts this old religious system, an abundant life. John 10.10 says, The devil has come to kill and to steal and to destroy, but I have come, Jesus said, that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. And borrowing again from the Romans 7 passage that we read from a few moments ago, in chapter 4 it says this, Romans 7 verse 4, it says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, for what purpose? In order that we may bear fruit for God. In order that we may bear fruit for God. God in Christ was always looking to, to do something amazing and miraculous through Jesus Christ. Namely, the preaching of the gospel, getting people to understand the need to denounce themselves because that's what repentance is, right? To turn around. Stop walking in one particular direction. Turn around. Do an about face. Somebody said once, do a 360. No! You're just making a circle going back in the same direction. It's a 180. Make an about face. Move in the opposite direction. Turn over a new leaf, a new page, a new book even. And say yes to Jesus because life and death are at hand. Life and death. Where do we stand at the end of the day when we hear the gospel message and there's no response from us in a very intimate or, or authentic way? Is there salvation without repentance? Is there Christianity without repentance? In no way, shape, or form. The new wineskin can easily also refer to the regenerative heart, the regenerative heart. One that would allow us to, number one, acknowledge a humility toward God. Write this down, John 1, 12. A humility toward God. When we truly repent 
from the heart, we're actually able to acknowledge a humility toward God. Secondly, repentance or a regenerative heart allows us to experience forgiveness of sin. 1 John 1, 9. Write that down. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is, of course, if we confess our sin. And number three, a regenerative heart allows us to know true peace. John sixteen thirty three. In this world, Jesus said, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When we know Jesus, when we turn over a new leaf, when we allow for the heart to be circumcised, if you will, we truly come to a place where we can enjoy fellowship with the Almighty God Himself. That is found in 1 John 1, 7. But i got to tell you again, as I've stated over and over again, benefits like these are only afforded to us when we repent. Repentance allows us to put away the old system. It means to turn around, to lay our lives down for the cause of Christ. What happens when we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ? What happens? You don't have to answer, but I want you to think about that. What happens when we surrender ourselves to Jesus? You know, the Bible in the book of Revelation, I don't know, I think it's chapter 3, verse 15. It, 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 it raises this very interesting concept. It is God's will for you and I to live out our first love. Yes or no? It is God's will for you and I to know Him personally and intimately and then to walk in that life, in that substance, as long as we have breath in our lungs. To live out your first love, Jesus Christ states. In fact, He goes on to say that those who are lukewarm, He will spew us out of His Mouth. It's important for Jesus, for you and I to live repenting on a regular basis. Because He wants us to be holy as He is holy. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? If you do, the question then is... Have you completely put aside your old nature? The gospel message will be hindered unless we put aside the old nature. I was tempted. I didn't do it. But there's so many New Testament verses. It was just jumping all over my mind, even right now. Paul the Apostle talks about this. The old nature, how we, to, we are to mortify to subject, to put down, to put under the deeds of the flesh. Because there's an, the, the flesh will always serve as an obstacle to the things that pertain to God in our life. If I desire to truly be the believer that God wants me to be, this side of heaven, I have to make some sacrifices. I have to get rid of this, denounce this, because it would always inhibit obstruct and hinder the work of God in my life. And I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Jesus today. 
And if He gives me tomorrow, I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow. So I'm, I'm doing something about it. I'm not doing it because I want to be saved. I'm doing it because I am. I'm doing it because I am. Romans chapter 7 talks a lot about that. Paul the Apostle says, the thing, I'm all over the place. The things that I want to do, I can't because the things that I don't want to do, I am. I mean, he's like, what? There's something wrong with me. I believe that he wasn't really experiencing such volatile, salvation-destroying difficulties. No, this, this was the Apostle Paul. He was under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, conveying to us this reality that exists within us, this battle between the flesh and the spirit, the war that takes place within us. How about you? Anybody struggling? Anybody? Let me see your hand. Let me be bold enough to let me know you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. You, you want to go left, but somehow you can't and you're moving in the wrong direction. You go out the door, your wife said, honey, I need some milk and some eggs. And you end up at the, at the pool hall. You end up in the Mexican restaurant, you're eating a burrito and you're not thinking about your family, huh? How about that? You get my drift, right? We, want to, we know we need to be going in that direction. But somehow we are compelled, coerced even, to move away from the things of God. Why is that? Because we possess a nature that would always hinder the work of God unless we surrender it. Unless we lay it down. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about here this morning. And because I see it in your eyes, I'm dragging out this point. Struggle is very real. Anybody here without any struggle? Let me see your hand. Anybody here without a struggle? It behooves us then, as believers, to surrender ourselves to God. And if you don't know this Jesus that I've been talking to you about here this morning, today is your moment. That, that child is just simply saying amen. That child's okay. Saying amen. I love that preacher. I love that guy. I love that Puerto Rican. That's what, that, that's what the baby say. I love that guy. If you don't know Jesus, today is your day. This is your moment right here and right now. Don't expect fireworks. Don't expect any of that stuff, any physical or natural manifestation of things. No, no, don't expect that. But there can, in fact, you can indeed experience a rejuvenation on the inside that would ultimately make the eternal difference in your life. Jesus put it this way. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29. He says, come to me. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is, my burden is light. Only Jesus can make a difference in our lives. Joy, we ready? Only Jesus can make a difference in our lives. But we have to take this thing seriously. Consider, consider before I lose you, don't let me lose you. Consider what this gospel message cost 
Jesus Christ. What did it cost him? Somebody. It cost him his life. I already stated over and over again in my futile way that repentance was a constant theme for Jesus in the message of the cross, in the message of the gospel. Repentance, because without repentance there is no newness of life. There is none. You cannot escape the ravages of the old legal system, the bondage effect upon your life unless you repent. It's important. It matters to the non-believer to repent, but it also matters to you and I who know Jesus today. Where are you today, people of God, with your faith? The demand upon you today is not to be perfect. The demand upon you today is not to be flawless. It's not. That's not in the Word of God. But the demand is, in fact, to determine once and for all whom you will serve. And what does that look like? Who was it that said in the Old Testament, as for me and my house? Who was that? Who said that, Ron? Joshua. I believe it's 24:15, I think. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How about you? If, that's, if that describes you, stand with me this morning. As we go through this song together. Worship the Lord today.
morning who doesn't know Jesus. There may be. There just may be one. We would make a mistake not to extend the opportunity for somebody here this morning to know Jesus. If you don't know the Lord, this is a moment for you to come to Christ. You don't have to stop doing some of the things that you're doing in order to come to Christ. He wants to take you as you are, and then He wants to have the privilege of cleaning you up. You don't have to worry about cleaning yourself up before you come to Him. He wants to do that for you. You and I, apart from Him, are not capable of moral change. It's just not possible. Is there anybody here today, just for a show of hands, you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus. We're not going to ask you to come up front. We want to pray with you. Anybody who doesn't know Jesus. If you're afraid of putting up a hand, perhaps, just pray a prayer like this in your heart. And if you mean it with all your heart, Jesus will come into your heart. He will save your soul and He'll write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Pray a prayer like this and mean it. Say, Dear Jesus, I need you in my life. And I'm asking you today because I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize today that I have blown it. I've messed up, Lord. And I'm inviting you to come into my heart today and to come into my life. I'm asking you, dear Jesus, to please forgive my sin, all of my sin. And to please give me the strength I need to be a follower. To be the Christian that I'm supposed to be for the rest of my life. I give you my soul today. In Jesus' name. Amen. allowing us to worship you this way in spirit and in truth. Thank you for receiving us. Thank you for allowing us to sacrifice today. Thank you for talking to us today about what this commitment should look like in light of repentance. Today we commit ourselves to following you, Lord, and we thank you so much for it. <clears throat> we pray your blessings on us. Father, for the rest of this day, please bless us as we prepare to come back here at 5 o'clock for the celebration that's going to be taking place here in the fellowship hall. Father, bring your people back here today and allow us as a community, as a family, to celebrate this new endeavor, this new work, Lord God, that you're doing here on this campus, Urban Hope, L.A. We pray in advance for the food that we're, gonna, that we're going to eat Father, we pray your blessings on it in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people say, God bless you guys. See you tonight.